Giblet. Hello, writers. I'm Alexis. And I'm Brittany. Thank you for joining our community, centered around growth and discovery in the world of Kid Lit. Today, we are chatting with Stonewall Honor Award-winning author Mariama J. Lockington. Members of our Read to Write book club recently read her upper middle grade novel, In the Key of Us, a dual point of view story of two girls, Andy and Zora, as they discover themselves and each other at a musical summer camp. The members especially love the sections of poetry that brought the camp to life and the way Mariama had a distinct voice for each character shown through dialogue. Welcome, Mariama, and thank you for chatting with us about your writing techniques. Hi, so happy to be here. Thank you. We are so happy to have you. Your book has so many important topics, anxiety, depression, grief, self-harm, racism, and LGBTQ. How did you find balance between these topics so it's accessible to our young readers? Yeah, I, this is such a good, good question. Um, and I also am like, how do I find balance in that in general in my life with um, all the things that are going on? So if I'm if I'm being really honest, I feel like that's um, really sort of how I walk through the world um, is that um, at, at one moment, there are all these wonderful, joyful things that are happening and that I'm able to harness. And then at the other moment, there's all the overwhelm and all of the sort of um, things that I, I live with or struggle with as a person, and then also all the external things that are happening in the world. So I think for In the Key of Us, I really wanted to honor the fact that, and and in all my books, but especially in this one, that young people um, hold a tremendous amount. Um, and yes, they're coming of age and they're walking around um, still developing their brains and le learning how to emotionally regulate and all that stuff. Um, but young people are dealing with a tremendous amount or shouldering a lot um, and uh, I wanted to write a book that honored uh, both the beauty and the fun and the adventure of being at a summer camp, and then also what what young people bring to that camp when they come um, hoping to explore music, but they're also still coming from their different contexts. And so um, I think, I, I hope that I made each character, especially the main characters, um, girls who are creative and passionate and can find joy in things, um, but it was important to me to also bring, have them bring all, I guess, of their baggage with them to the camp as well, so that they um, can learn and grow from each other and and through the music as well. Absolutely. Kids right now really are struggling with so much at one time and a lot of things that we don't necessarily um, think about as writers or teachers or parents. And providing those types of stories that have both everything in between good and bad and everything in between also allows um, a space, I think, for students to feel like they can talk about maybe anything that's going on um, and and that can be okay. I think um, a lot of times, uh, at least as a young person, I didn't feel like I, I felt like I was the only one going through something, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so hopefully stories that are able to balance that can, can provide a space for young people to realize they're not alone in whatever capacity that is helpful. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's the power of great books. Seeing, <laughs> seeing, you know, that you're not alone, but also um, I think, as you said, um, having it in the, the fun uh, camp setting with all the fun s'mores and ghost stories and things like that. I also like how you had 
strategies in the book for dealing with the anxiety, the breathing techniques and things. And I've noticed that in some your other books as well. So I really think that's a cool way to help readers with, okay, when I'm feeling like this, I can count and breathe and focus on, you know, sounds or something like that. So I really love that. Okay. So where do you get your ideas for stories? I was thinking about this question and, and I've had young people ask me this question too. And I think I'm very, I'm very much someone who's driven by character, right? Like I get the idea of a character, like, oh, I want to um, write about this particular type of a, a girl or character. Um, but for In the Key of Us, actually, the idea for this book started with like um, an image, sort of like a movie, movie image, like movie scene image. Like I don't, I don't want to spoil the book, but I guess many people have read it. But, um, but of like two black girls at a music camp or at a camp, like at one of those like camp mixers, like just dancing and having it be this like romantic moment. Um, and so I think in in that particular sense, then I built the story around that. And then I also really wanted to um, explore the setting of, of putting these two girls in this particular camp. And we can talk about setting a little bit later, but um, so I, I'm driven by character. I'm also heavily influenced by music. I think I've said this, um, in other interviews, but like, I can't really start writing a book without thinking about the sounds and the songs that would be like the soundtrack to the particular story and the characters. Um, and so that's also sometimes how I get my ideas is through sort of other art forms and especially music. Um, and then I also think I very, um, it's very important for me to also write into the voids uh, of stories that I wish I had as a young person or areas where I feel like I haven't seen a lot of stories with two black girls who are part of the LGBTQ community who get to go to a camp, right? Um, and that was, I, I was one of those girls like that went to a music camp. And so um, I also pull, I guess, from, from my own experiences as a young person, um, as a person of color, as a queer person, um, and then think about the spaces that I was occupying um, and then think about putting my characters into those spaces as well. So kind of a little bit of everywhere. I think you can get a story idea like uh, from a piece of dialogue. I think you can get it from um, a character that comes to mind, a song. Um, and I think that's why it's also really important to be out in the world, meeting different types of people and consuming different types of arts and reading widely um, so that you can find that inspiration. And that's what I lead us into our next question of, how do you generate ideas for making the personalities of the characters so distinctive? Yeah, so um, this book was really, well, it was hard <laughs> to write in two points of view, but then also there's the whole chorus or cast of characters with all the other campers. Um, so I did do like traditional sort of like character sketches for uh, both of my main characters, Zora and Andy, and then also um, just because I needed to keep everything organized in my own mind as far as like, you know, which which character was the character that drew on herself with the Sharpies. And um, I, I, I also had little, um, they weren't quite maybe as intense and as long as my character sketches for Zora and Andy, uh, but they were a little like, what are two distinct things about this particular camper that can help you as you go through the story? Um, so yeah, honestly, I work uh, for this book, I worked in Scrivener. And so I just had a little folder that was like character sketches. Um, and then for Zora and Andy, um, you know, I started by just thinking about, 
you know, what they, what I, what they looked like in my mind. So physical descriptions, um, what type of music they would listen to, uh, obviously their, the instruments that they play. Um, I, I feel like the fun thing about character sketches is sometimes that stuff doesn't even make it into a book, but you can literally just be like, what is this person's favorite food? And, um, if this person was going to go on a vacation, where would they want to go if they didn't have any limits? Right. And so, um, I think those moments where you can just sort of sketch out your character on the page really help, helped with that and helped me with that, especially for this book, because it had, I feel like it was very hard, <laughs> a lot of moving pieces and, and also writing in two points of view was uh, harder than I expected it to be. Um, it was a challenge for sure. Can you say a little I bit more about that? Yeah, I, I think um, I had seen it done in other books and I was really excited. And for, for this particular story, I knew that I didn't, I knew that I had these two main characters. And so I knew that it needed to be in two points of view. Um, and the way that I had seen it done in books before, and, and not all books, but one of the ways that I had seen it structured is that the point of view changes perspective almost every chapter. So you get a chapter from one character, a chapter from the next and so forth. Um, and in the first draft of this book, I tried that to have the characters or an Andy switch every chapter. And it was a nightmare for me. Um, and I don't know what it was. Uh, it was very hard to think about, okay, if this, if, you know, if the first chapter is Zora and then we end here with her, where do we start with Andy so that I don't repeat all the same information, but you we're building off of the information that you got in Zora's part and then adding with Andy's, it just, it was really hard. So something that happened with this book that was a wonderful, after a wonderful conversation with my editor when I was like, I don't know what I'm doing, is thinking about, well, there, there are four weeks at this camp. So what if you didn't switch at every other chapter? Um, and so as soon as I thought about the setting of the camp and sort of you usually go to camp for one week to six weeks to eight weeks, that was easier for me to think about, okay, maybe it doesn't have to switch every chapter and maybe each chapter can, or each section of the book, each is a week of the is a week. And so we get one week of the, of the camp from Zora's perspective and one week from Andy and going like that. Um, and so that was a moment where I, I was like, okay, we've got the train back on the tracks because the every other chapter, and I've seen people do it really well. Um, I have not mm -hmm. succeeded at doing that yet. I will say our book club group. So part of um, this podcast is we also have a book club group of aspiring writers and that section where you switched from Andy to Zora was so we were all like wait we need to know more about Andy yeah. and it was such a good way to keep us going but it also I loved switching to Zora because then you were like oh well she reacted this way to this event like it was a great point that you made it switch because it made you want to keep going, but also gave you information. So I think you did yeah. it really well. Well, thank you. It was, it definitely, I mean, it, I love a challenge. I love a puzzle, but it was, I think I was just like, well, obviously I'm going to write it this way. And it was, um, every book is different. Every book is hard for its own reason. And that, and thinking the of the structure of this book was a lot harder um, than I'd anticipated, but it was a good challenge, I guess. So, so kind of, going off with setting because this book is so centered around the settings. Do you visit a place and sit and listen in order to write your beautiful descriptions or what tools do you use to describe the places so well? 
Yeah, I mean, I think, yes. Um, I think that's a really good exercise or prompt for anyone who's interested in getting a setting really correctly. I had, um, I didn't, I didn't actually end up taking this class in grad school, but I, I had a really close friend who took this class where the, the project was to actually go, go to a, a place or a setting that wasn't really familiar to you. Um, and over the semester, go there like four or five times and just sit and absorb what you hear, see, like all the sounds and things like that. Um, and then to build some type of a story based off of that setting. Um, so I think absolutely going to a place, if you're writing about, obviously sometimes you can't <laughs> always go somewhere, but if you can, if you're writing um, about, um, I don't know, if you're writing a, about someone who works in a grocery store or something, like um, I think it can be really helpful to go and observe um, different areas and different places. For me, for In the Key of Us, um, Again, I, I do take things from my own life. And so I um, grew up partially in Michigan and I also went to a camp up in Northern Michigan. So people who've been to that camp probably recognize the thinly veiled uh, camp harmony that I've built here. Um, but I my favorite part of being a Michigander for some of my life was going up North. And also I love the Great Lakes. Um, I'm actually more of a Great Lake girl than an ocean girl. The ocean kind of scares me a little bit. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. But um, there's something about going to the lake, going to the sand dunes, um, and and also being in a, a state where summer is so important because winter and cold and grayness is like a good majority of the seasons um, or of the year. Um, and so summer is just this time where you get you go and you go to the water. Um, and so I was really inspired by my time that I had spent up in Northern Michigan and specifically at this camp um, that I attended that wasn't just a music camp, it was an arts camp for all types of arts. Um, and so I wanted to set this book in that type of environment. And I also wanted to put uh, Black girls in nature in a, in a setting where um, they're both inspired by the things that are going on at the camp, but also they're interacting with the landscape and the water. And that's also a part of the story. So um, I didn't, I uh, sadly, <laughs> I didn't get to go back to that camp as I was writing this book or go back to that particular area. But I have a lot of, um, I guess, historical past knowledge of that place. Um, I did look at pictures, though. Um, I looked at pictures of the the sand dunes and to remind myself and I did also look up sort of like well what foliage um what types of animals are up there just to make sure that I got those particular things right um and so yes I mean uh either going to a place or doing research on a place and looking at pictures and finding videos I think that can all really help with setting um and then also just to pick a place you know really well and to build off of that too, and to put characters um, and different plot points and situations into it that maybe aren't your experience, but can take place in that familiar sort of setting is also really helpful. We also talked a lot about the use of memories and flashbacks. How did you decide when it was appropriate to use memories or flashbacks without pulling away from the main storyline? I don't know. <laughs> Um, I, I honestly don't, I love that. <laughs> I, I, to be very honest, I don't know if I know specific, like sometimes if I'm like, oh, it's time for a flashback. Mm -hmm. I will say that, um, I am, a I hate first drafting a lot. I love revising. Um, and 
I love getting notes from my editor. And so she's really good. Uh, my editor, whose name is Joy, she's really good. Uh, she asks a lot of questions. Um, or she'll just be good. I like, I think we need more of this character's like backstory. Um, so, and that's not, she's not necessarily giving me a note, like, and here you need to have a flashback. But when I get notes like, hey, we need a little bit more of Zora's backstory so that we can earn this moment with her in the bathroom uh, when her parents come up to visit, or we can earn this moment, that sort of signals to me that I need to go back um, to sort of earlier chapters or earlier parts with Zora and sprinkle in more of her story and the same with Andy. Um, so I think though that's helpful, the process of like working with an editor or, and it doesn't have to be a formal editor, like a writing group or a friend who's your writer friend, being able to like see those holes of like, you know, I really love Zora, but we need more from about like, I wanna know about her relationship with Kennedy a little bit more, uh, her best friend back at home. Um, so those conversations really help me. Um, but I don't, I don't know if in the process of writing, I'm like, and now I will have a flashback. Um, sometimes I'm writing and it's like, well, this is a natural point of like, we're here in the present with Andy, she's heading to camp. Um, but like, why is she with her aunt and uncle? And and we need, we need a little bit of, of more backstory here. So um, I'm a little bit of an over, a little bit, I am an over writer as well. <laughs> so um also, when I get notes back from my editor, she's really good at being like, look, like we got like the middle section is just really long. Like we need to we need to tighten it up a little bit. And so that will also help me go back to like, well, how much of this flashback do I actually need um, or how much of, of this scene do I actually need? And that will help me tighten things up a little bit. But um, I don't know if I'm always aware of when a flashback is like happening. Um but then when it's there on the page and when I have edits and notes back, it's help, it's it's easier for me to go back and see where where the holes are and where I need to pad in more backstory um, for the characters. I really, yeah, there were so many places. I know people listening can't see, but I tabbed the heck out of this book. <laughs> and one of the tabs was backstory. And I just kept like, I ran out of tabs almost <laughs> because... I was like, oh, wow, she does this a lot. And it was, it did feel very natural. Okay. So I liked how it would be an event that happens, like the ice cream or something. And then it led to, you know, that memory or something like that. I thought it was really cool. So I think, yeah, but it's important to know that it's in the revision process too, that it doesn't happen just naturally. But it doesn't, sometimes it does. And then sometimes you have to pat it in. I also think that like, for me, that's how memory works a little bit too. It's like, oh, you are like having ice cream with your friend and you hear a particular song and then you're like, oh, and mm -hmm. I remember this one time yeah. um, in the summer when I was a kid when the song was playing, right? And so I think that yeah. that's also something we do naturally as humans. And so it can happen on the page as well. But absolutely the revision point is like, it's my favorite part. <laughs> it's my favorite <laughs> part of the process, which we can talk more about, but yeah. 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 I love that. So you mentioned earlier, you know, your character, how you develop your characters. So do you have other tips for writing realistic dialogue? Yes, I do. Um, and this is one of my favorite um, activities to do when I do uh, storytelling workshops with young people. Um, but I encourage people to uh, ear hustle, AKA eavesdrop as much as you can. <laughs> Um, and go to public places. Don't be a stalker about it. But like, go to public places 
and you know and like listen to how people are talking to one another and also uh, one of the activities I love to do with young people, uh, like I taught at a, a summer program and was literally like I sent them outside to walk around and we were sort of in a like a, a city area. So it was a little bit easier. And I was like, gather like three to four pieces of dialogue that you just hear when you're walking around for the next 15 minutes. And then we all brought them back and we put them in a bowl. And then each person drew a piece of dialogue and had to write something off of like a random thing that someone said on the street. Oh, so that's a fun thing that you can do. But I think um, a couple things help with writing realistic dialogue is is a just listening to how people speak and and um, and listening to conversations um, as much as you can without being a creepy stalker. I'm not encouraging that. Um, reading uh, reading your work out loud and then also having other people read your work out loud. I actually think that's really important when I do workshops with. Um, young people and they're sharing their own work we actually when someone's getting critiqued they don't read their own poem or their own piece we give it we ask for another student in the group to read it because sometimes um when you hear your work read by someone else you can hear where they trip over words or where things are clunky or awkward um and so that also helps so reading your dialogue out loud and and then also like having a friend or a teacher or a mentor also read that out loud and hearing how it sounds can help make that dialogue more natural. Um, I also think that um, trusting that you know, like trusting that something that we do as humans every day is tell stories, whether or not you are a writer with a capital W, we tell stories to one another. And so um, knowing that you already have that ability to be like, oh, this is this is one way people talk. Um, this is how I talk. I can infuse that into my characters. but. Um, yeah, listening and observing when I was writing, um, well, all my books, I've, I've worked in education and I've worked with young people, but when I was writing my first book, I was coaching a, uh, a running club called Girls on the Run. It's like mm -hmm. a running program where we train for a 5k. And so as the coach, I would just like run laps with them and I would check in on their pods, to, like their pairs. And I would overhear a lot of their conversation. It's not necessarily that I would use their conversation, but I would just think about the words and the phrases and the slang that they were using with one another and sort of the inflection and the tone. Um, and that actually really helped with when I was revising uh, for Black Girls Like Me, my first book. So um, yeah, I think putting yourself again in those scenarios where you're like in an environment or a setting um, where maybe your character would be and then also just listening to people's conversations, um, even if it's, you know, your family over the dinner table, how people are talking to one another. We keep coming back to that idea of being present and observant in life and not just at our desks and our paper and our computers, but being out in the world. Um, I think I've heard you said several times, you know, being at the setting or being listening to the conversations. Um, I think that's important because I think when we listen or read our craft books and read our listen to our podcasts, we're only imagining sitting there at our with our pencils. Um, but it's not just that; it's we're observing and making um, talking about life and uh, for our children's lit our kids' lives and what's important to them and what they're going through. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think writing is also um, being like obviously you have to be 
you have to meet a deadline. Sometimes you have to get words on the page and that can be really solitary for sure. But I also think there's something about writing and storytelling that is also about being part of your community, encountering other communities, um, exposing yourself to different art forms, to different cultures, to different people. Um, all of those experiences will also help you when you come to the page um, to sort of have a richer world to draw from when you're creating your own worlds on the page. Christopher was probably the most distinct <laughs> voice for me. Like he, oh my gosh, I could see him just so well. But I'm curious, which character is more like your voice? Do you have a character that was you, your voice? Okay, who was it? I mean, it's Zora. It is definitely yeah. Zora. Um, I mean, I think there are parts of me and like little pieces of me in both of the main girls. Uh, Christopher was a delight and an honor and a privilege to write that character. I love Christopher. So like if I'm talking about like a character that's I mean, I think he kind of is also a main character, but he doesn't we don't get like a story from his POV necessarily. Um, I love Christopher. Um, Zora is just some of the things Zora struggles with her perfectionism, her like bossiness. Um, her know-it-all attitude are definitely me. Um, and uh, I think actually what was interesting about writing both of those voices is that um, I think because Zora's voice is a little closer to mine, that was harder for me to write, actually. Like Andy's sections came a little bit easier for me. Um, and Zora's voice, voice was a little bit harder. I, I, I do think Zora's like even a little bit more bossy and like a little bit more punchy and in your face than I was or am. Um, but I very much think that she was hard to write because I identified with her so much and sometimes was annoyed by her, if I'm being a little honest. Um, love her a lot. But, um, so I think Zora's voice, although there's definitely parts of me and Andy too. Andy's a little quieter, a little bit more introverted. Um, and I definitely have those parts of me as well. Um, but Andy like has this like uh, confidence about um, just like, I'm going to be me no matter what, that I definitely didn't have. I was definitely like more self-conscious, more worried about fitting in and doing the right things and pleasing everyone in a certain way. Um, and so that's why I think Zora is more like me. Would you have thought that or did you think it was someone else? Well, I don't know how to answer that. <laughs> yeah, I, so I, I mean, that's me. Um, I don't, I, yeah. I, yeah. Following you on Instagram I and knowing that side of you, I know that that's, a, that's not a personal side. That's not private. But I would say I agree with you being Zora. I <laughs> You are, you know, you're strong and you do you. And I love it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I did love Christopher. And I do feel like he was a good almost main character. He was very close. Yeah. Uh, he's, he was, um, I think he's probably one of my favorite characters that I've written. Uh, he's, oh. yeah, he was very fun to write. I think I can tell. Like, I yeah. think, yeah, that came out in the writing. Yeah. Well, let's talk about your favorite part. Revision. What does your, broadly speaking, what does your revision process look like? It is a mess, but it's really fun. Um, so I, I despised first drafting because like Zora, I'm a perfectionist. And, mm -hmm. I, and I'm also someone who studied poetry before I came to Children's Lit. And so I like to agonize over word choice and all of this stuff. And in a first draft, you can't do that. Um, what I love about revision 
is I love, I, I know that not everyone says this, but like, I genuinely do like getting feedback uh, as long as it's constructive. And, you know, I love getting feedback because I feel like I'm so in my head um, during the first part of drafting a book that finally I'm like, finally, like, let me get some, some feedback, some questions about, is this story even going to work? Where can I take it? And so um, the way that it works with my editor is I'll send her a draft and then um, anywhere from, depending what she's got on her desk, anywhere from like a month to two months later, I usually get notes back, right? Um, and then I absorb those notes and it's it comes in an email form. And so um, I absorb what's really working. And then usually those notes are a series of questions with like a topic, like Christopher, want to know more about his backstory, um, need to know more about does Andy's mom, Andy's mom's uh, death, does it need to be like this, could it be like, like just a series of questions. So then I usually take a week to like absorb the feedback. And then my editor and I schedule a phone call actually, or a FaceTime, a phone call. Um, and then that phone call is really actually just for me to talk through the notes and ask questions or say, hey, this note made a lot of sense. Here's what I'm thinking as far as a revision. Do you think I'm on the right track with that? Um, um, and then we have a great conversation. I have a really good relationship with my editor. I feel really safe talking to her about a lot of things. Um, she's always really good about being like, these are suggestions. You don't, if you don't want to do this, you don't have to, but these are questions that came up. And then after that phone call, I'm really free to then take our, take the conversation, take the notes, and then mess everything up. Start as I start a new document or a new um, document or new folder, um, whatever I'm writing on. Um, and then I will start to attack the different comments um, and go through the manuscript. Um, I would say that when I revise more so than when I draft, I go in chronological order. Like when I when I first draft, sometimes I need to just skip ahead and write a scene that I'm excited about writing because I'm slogging through another one. But with revision, I'm usually a little bit more methodical about like, okay, let's start with Andy's section in the beginning and what what from the notes can we address in this part? Um, so I, I do do that and I go through. Um, but what I love about revision is it's a puzzle. And it's also like, I am I feel like I'm not the only one in the room anymore, <laughs> just sitting with my thoughts and my anxieties about it, that I've gotten like really good, positive, uh, constructive feedback about moving forward in a certain direction. But I still also have enough uh, agency and just autonomy to then be like, oh, that's a great idea that my editor had. And then what if I build on top of it and I add more to it? So um, I'm trying to think about in this book, what really became clear. Oh, well, what really became clear in the, at least the revision is that at first, um, the camp only spoke in the beginning. Um, there was only mm. one poem from the camp's point of view. Um, and so I think it came out in the first or second revision that what if we like that wanting to hear a little bit more from the camp, that the camp was such a rich character kind of the set setting became a character that what if we hear from the camp a little bit more throughout the book um and so then adding those three additional i think it's three additional poems that come before each section um became something that happened in revision it just at first it just was like well the book will start with the camp but then we won't hear from the camp anymore um so that's something that came about in revision um yeah 
lots of things, things making more clear what's happening with Andy when she goes out into the water looking for her mom, um, making it more clear what's happened with her mom. I think a note I got was about what was the motivation? Why is Andy so worried that her mom will be upset with her? Like what's going, what's going on with her? Um, that earns that moment. So um, yeah, so that's the fun part for me. I, I don't know. I know some people dread the revision part and love the drafting part. But for me, it's like, give me all your feedback. Let's have a conversation. And then I'm going to come back and I don't feel quite so alone. Um, and then I get really excited about building off of questions or new ideas that um, an editor or a friend or a critique partner has brought to the table. And um, yeah, I just like it a lot. And of course, there are days where I'm like, yes, I'm exhausted and I don't want to revise. Like, I'm not saying that I never have a bad day, but <laughs> as part of the process, it's one of my favorite parts. Well, I have to say that the um, interludes were one of my favorite parts of the the book. It just felt like a the beautiful poetry, but also kind of like a refreshing moment in between changing POVs. Um, I personally really like that part. Yeah. And kind of going with that, you mentioned, you know, that you did poetry first. That's what you studied. So several of our book club members described your writing as very lyrical. <laughs> So what does lyrical writing mean to you and how have you developed that style, especially now that you don't write poetry in these books? No, I mean, you did put poetry in there, yes, yeah. but it was largely prose. So how do you develop your lyrical style in that way? Yeah, I, I was thinking about how I would like how I would even describe my lyrical style. I think because I do come from both a musical background and then also a poetry background. Um, my parents are classical musicians. I grew up practicing and playing flute and piano for many, many years. Uh, the theory, hearing them practice and going to symphony concerts. And then also as I became a young adult, listening to my own music and developing my own musical taste. Um, and so again, I listened to a lot of music during the writing process. Um, I cannot listen to music with words when I'm first drafting. So I listen to a lot of classical, a lot of jazz, um, sometimes instrumental. Actually, I, um, for this book, I listened to a lot of um, Miles Davis, but also a lot of, um, there's a string quartet that does like all the Bridgerton music. So they take like um, popular songs, but they, they do instrumental versions of it. Mm -hmm. So I listened to a lot of that while I was first drafting this book. Um, and then once I've, I'm editing and I'm revising, then I can maybe slip in some music that has words to it. But I'm always thinking about like writing is always very tied to the practice of music and also just listening to music. Um, so I think maybe that's some of where my lyricism comes from is just also music and, and thinking about phrasing and thinking about uh, the tone and, and volume and all of that background I have in music. Um, and then for poetry, what I love about poetry is you have to be really sparse and um, really sparse and really um, concise with your language to describe an image or a feeling or a moment. And so, um, yes, I think when I'm writing prose that I'm also, my poet mind is also still, so working in there. I also read, I'm, I have to be like in my office. It's hard for me to write like a coffee shop sometimes because um I will be, I'm someone who will like write and then I'll be like, I need to hear this out loud and hear how it sounds. Um, and so then through the process of like reading how Andy's part is sounding out loud, 
sometimes I'm listening for like musicality and words and rhymes and half rhymes and, and things that are happening, even if it's in prose. And so I think I do that, um, maybe not naturally, but I think because of my, of my training as a poet and going to getting my MFA in poetry, that that's just something I do. Um, and I really like language and words and I don't know, that's also just fun for me. So um, I think all my books will have poetry or some hybridness. I actually think I live, I like, I love prose and I love writing fiction and, and like long form chapter books, but I, but I love poetry. And so even when I'm writing a book, I'm also always writing poems on the side. Like I have, you know, other folders just full of poems that I'll write about my day or the, or my dog. I have a lot of poems about my dog um, or my dog's like life as my life is happening. Um, so I think that's just a part of, of who I am. And I, I like writing, even though this book wouldn't be sold as a novel in verse, right? I like writing um, in that hybrid area. I think my first book is is mm -hmm. full of poems and deals with like, I'm, I like playing with form and the way words look on a page. Um, so I'm probably always going to find a way to put poems in the book. Um, and this one, it was actually really fun to hear my editor be like, what if we hear from the camp more? Because I was like, wait, I get to think about writing more poems from the camp's POV. That's fun. <laughs> what do you think the effect then is for the reader, and especially our young readers, for having prose, poetry, or even other forms? Um, in this story, we had letters to mm -hmm. Kennedy, to mm -hmm. um, Zora. What do you think that effect is on our reader? Um. So something that I have, well, something that I've heard from educators who've taught the book in their classes is that um, some readers, a lot of young readers like um, encountering poetry or shorter looking chapters or uh, on the page um, as far as digesting some of the things that are going on in the story. So, um, and I think some, sometimes the power of poetry is that you can get across a really big thing in minimal space is like playing with space on the page. Um, and so that's something I've heard from teachers. Um, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm like, I'm kind of like, well, I would love to ask young people that question more specifically. Um, I also think I, I hope that um, young people realize that they get, I mean, yes, you need to like learn the rules, but you can learn the rules and then you can break the rules a little bit that writing and storytelling can look and sound like a lot of different things. Being published can look and sound like a lot of different things. Being a writer, um, you don't ever have to publish something and you can still be a writer. Um, you can still be a storyteller. Um, that oral storytelling, there's a huge oral storytelling tradition in some cultures. And so um, that hopefully that, that reading and writing, um, maybe if they thought about it in a particular box, um, maybe they can think of it, about it outside of the box a little bit, because it's really fun to play with words and with stories on the page or off the page as well. And so I hope I hope that's something that maybe they get from, from books that play with form or, or hybrid in form. Absolutely. Break expectations. Yes. Yeah. I personally love multimedia. I, I love encountering different things. So I enjoyed the letters as well when they came up it was it's just a nice little well it's nice to see letters I know still, you know <laughs> like I wish I wish I had someone to write a letter to yeah <laughs> so I enjoyed I think that part is kind of a nostalgia thing too 
Yeah. And we, yeah. we live in such a multimedia, like mm -hmm. where we're getting information and how we're communicating with one another is so, and especially young people are, are um, communicating so many different ways. And so um, it's kind of fun to think about that. And yes, I mean, I, I also love, I loved letter writing. I was an avid, I had yeah. many, many pen pals as a youngin. Um, and so I do love thinking about that form. Yeah. So we're kind of switching gears here. Um, can you talk about something that we also noticed was the use of parallels between Andy's Andy and Zora, Andy's music to her mom's art, the visual of the uncle driving away and her mom driving away. All these things were very much, uh, there's so many. So can you kind of talk about, you know, was that in the revision process and how did you kind of structure that or decide that structure? Yeah, I feel like this is another question where I'm like, this is a great question. How did I do this or how did I think through this? Naturally, um, you were natural. <laughs> um, I mean, okay, so I do think that I wanted, I did, I did want there to be some uh, like similarities in between sort of like Andy and her mom and sort of her mom's journey with art and Andy's journey with her trumpet playing and with her, uh, with um, sort of how that then translates into her, her personality and the way she walks through the world. And so that was really important to continue as we went, but also, um, so I think it's important. I think it was important to show how Andy was similar to her mom, but then also the ways that they um, really veered off um, from one another and some of the ways that her mom was a really human person as we are all human people. Um, something that I love about Andy and Zora that was fun to play with was, um, yes, they're both young people who really love music and are on this like uh, prestigious track. Um, but one of them is like, I stick to the rules and one of them is like, eh, the rules are there to like mm -hmm. be pushed aside. And so that was a really fun thing to have them sort of meeting at this place and then also butting heads because Zora's like, hey, why can't you just play what's on the page? And Andy's like, well, why can't you just like loosen up a little bit and like feel through the music? And so it was fun to watch those, like to see the two characters sort of learn from one another and take mm -hmm. a little bit from each other's sort of ways of addressing the world. And when I talk with young people, we talk about like improvising versus uh, having a plan. And I ask like, how many of you feel like you like are more of an improviser and how many of you are like planners? Um, and it's a fun, a fun thing to play with. So I think that also when you have, I think when you're trying to build tension on the page or, or, or build up to something that having characters that do have some, some things that in their life that are parallel, that are similar, and then also a thing that makes them like fundamentally different. Um, it's a really fun way to build tension and to build that sort of buildup and relationship or friendship on the page um, as far as how they come to interact with one another and understand each other and uh, see each other. So that was really fun. Um, I'm trying to think about other, I know that there are many others. I think, again, like, in my brain, it's just sort of how things work sometimes, right? Your mm -hmm. your life is is um, mirroring someone else's or something else's, and then it veers off in some way or capacity. So, um, but I would definitely say yes. In revision, a lot of the times, my a lot of the times my first drafts. Uh, what did my editor said? She's like, we need to like. Like I tie everything up in a bow and I make I, I make everything really neat and everything is just like too not too happy but everything is just like a little too like well 
let's dig into this character and figure out like what's really <laughs> going on with them. And like um, things are too tied up in a bow with like Zora and like, I think one note I got was like Zora and her, her self harm. Um, like at, it was a little rushed in earlier uh, revisions where we don't really get to see her like having a moment with her mom. And, um, and so I think that in revision again, through those questions, um, some of those things come up because I think also sometimes I'm not aware I'm doing things. And so when someone points it out or asks a question about it, then I can say, okay, I want to continue to do that or pull back on doing that when I go back to revising it. So I don't know. Sometimes I'm, sometimes I'm like, I read something and I'm like, Hmm, what was I doing there? I don't know. How did <laughs> I don't know, but I like it. I like it. <laughs> sometimes it doesn't, but sometimes it does. And I'm like, oh, Thank you so much, Mariama. Um, we hope our uh, those listening will follow you on Instagram and everywhere else. We'll link everything down below. And please check out the book in the key of us. Spectacular writing and just a great story. Thank you. This was really fun. Thanks for the questions that will make me even ponder past past our time together. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening. Join our community on Substack, linked below.